When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. I'm Jen. I'm Ginny. <laughs> and we are the art history babes. Yeah. I like I like that dramatic pause. <laughs> I, it was a reach. <laughs> <laughs> So the election is a thing that we're dealing with. Oh, (laughs) we're pretty stressed out. Yeah, unbelievably so, honestly. For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. But the election, though. Right now, at this exact moment in time, the election is superseding my other stressors. Because I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> see, I feel like I should be like you. Like, yeah, I should, you know, I'm on, I'm on the same page as you. Like, thank thinking you. back on all the shit I've been stressed out about yeah. today, like, I probably should take a page from Corey's book. But like, seriously, I've been stressed been out about things. like my my tiny like bubble of immediate influence from just like personal stuff, <laughs> and I'm like completely shielding myself from the outside world. <laughs> But that's changing tonight because we're going to talk about the election. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. It's it's rough. I I voted today, which was very exciting. Yes. Um and I I took my time with it and if you need if you're you should be voting. If you are voting, um, make sure to get yourself educated about your local and state propositions because that like takes some time and it's super important. And I will say it was kind of fun. It was kind of fun, fun feeling like I actually had a say in some of these things that yeah. are going on. Um, so propositions are important. Look into them. Look read in, it. Read it. <laughs> look into it. Look into your local elections. It's all important. It's more than just the presidential election. That being said, I must mention how dope it was to get to vote for a lady. That was a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. yeah. No, it's going to be pretty good. I mean, honestly, I think that voting for a woman is amazing. I mean, wow. First black president and then hopefully first woman president. Wow. Yeah. Wow. As the Mexicans say, they say wow. And I know Hillary's out there trying to get that Mexican vote. Girl, we got you. <laughs> it, you know, we, we got you. All right. We don't want a wall. All right. <laughs> You build a hundred foot wall, someone will just build like a hundred and one foot yeah. ladder. Yeah. Like. <laughs> and not to mention the most recent, not the most recent, like two or three episodes ago of This American Life, where they talk about the fact that immigration has not gone up at all. It no. has not. At all. Mexicans <laughs> don't want to come over here. My family. Not since the economy. All of my family's in Mexico and everyone's like, yo, it sucks up there. Like, I'm just staying here. Did you guys see the concert with Mark Anthony and J-Lo? They had a concert in Florida for Hillary, and she came out and was holding both their hands. She united the divorced couple, (laughs) and they had a salsa concert for Hillary Clinton, and I was so proud. 
I was very happy. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I love it. Bad. I love it. <laughs> Let's unite sure those things. Um, but, <laughs> but going... It's odd, but... <laughs> Corey's like, I'm going to rein it in. Yeah. Let's rein it in for a second. Um, um, going back to Natalie's point, I strongly encourage you to listen to the two most recent episodes of This yeah. American Life because they are legit and they're really great at um, picking apart these issues that have been plaguing the Republican Party and figuring out how Trump got to this point. And if you think critically for five seconds, it, it kind of makes you really think about why you are voting the way you are voting. For sure. So, and they're just really, really well done episodes. So if you're interested in politics, if you're interested in this election, if you are on in any way on the fence about who you're voting for... Oh, God. I... <laughs> I hope not, but if you are, listen to those episodes. And I think it could just give some Republicans peace of mind. Like, I don't know. This is not normal. It's really not. No. Yeah, no they no, shouldn't feel, like, I'm sure a lot of Republicans either feel like they're betraying their morals or they feel alienated from their party, and that's just, that sounds super shitty, so. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly, that's what the, the most recent one's about. It's, I think the name of it is, like, will I know anyone at this party? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes me sad. <laughs> I know. A lot of parts of it are, no. are quite poignant, Yeah, honestly. and yeah. it's all, it's all about how a lot of uh, conservative Republicans just feel very alienated from yeah. their party, and I, yeah. I don't blame them. Like, yeah, I can only imagine being a Republican being like, is this for real? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? Well, I mean, This American Life had episodes about this back before Trump was the official candidate. They had yeah. like, episodes about people just feeling so confused and lost in their own party, so it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Republicans who feel very, very confused right now. Everyone's like, where's Ben Carson? (laughs) I also want to kind of give a shout out because there have been quite a few Republicans that have crossed party lines despite not feeling great about, about Hillary. Personally, I just really appreciate that because Donald Trump... He doesn't, he doesn't... He's a bad guy. He does. He doesn't represent, <laughs> con, like, traditional conservative values. No. And if you value traditional conservative values, the idea that Trump represents them is just, it's not the truth. And yeah. and he represents, he represents a lot of scary stuff. He represents racism. He represents sexism. He represents xenophobia. Yeah. So I know it's an uneasy thing to cross party lines when yeah. you have yeah. belonged to the Republican Party your entire life. But at this point, and I think we all kind of agree here, this election, unfortunately, is about something way bigger than that. It's about yeah. it's about just, you know, making sure people feel welcome in this country. And human right. rights. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what's Basic crazy about rights. Trump, though, is like, uh, he's not conservative at all. Mm-mm. There's nothing <laughs> conservative about Donald Trump. He's the most radical person yeah. in general that I've ever seen yeah. running for president in yeah. my lifetime. Definitely. He's an extreme radical. He is not conservative in any sense of the word. Like even if some of his policies are in line with what people What like, policies? I don't he doesn't even know. Have he, doesn't even know. <laughs> he doesn't even know. Like he doesn't know what a policy is. It's just <laughs> it's just he's he's absolutely radical and he's just out of control. He's an out-of-control person. Yeah, and we don't 
necessarily mean radical in a good way. Um, no, not at all. Radical is not always a good thing. No, yeah. it's not. Um, it's not like radical. It's yeah, like, <laughs> rad. No, it's 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 radically bad. Yeah, yes. it's like when you get a, a radical rash. Um, rash. <laughs> I mean, I think I think what what it comes down to is the fact that. Donald Trump is ill-prepared. He's he, a bad guy. He doesn't <laughs> understand his stance on the issues or really how a lot of the issues work. He doesn't know what he's doing in any way, shape, or form. And he's he's fear-mongering and he's sensationalist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he mirrors fascism and and all of these ugly things we we as a country have been trying to move away from. Yes. And yeah. I mean it's it's true, like at this point, we're voting, you're either voting for, you know, maybe maybe someone who rubs you the wrong way, but who is going to continue to chip away and, like, try and make the country better, yeah. or you're voting to set us back. And that yeah. is the logical fact of the situation. Yeah, like, um, just think logically and ethically. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not hard. Listen, listen to your heart. Just listen to it. I don't unless know. Your, <laughs> unless your heart is a piece of shit. <laughs> there are, there are that was good. That was good. Want to go back? Yeah. No. In, yeah. In which case, there take are care of yourself and get out of there. <laughs> and those people that want to go back are also idealizing a past that is not actually even fully accurate to how they think. Oh, it is. In terms of like talking about, oh, there used to be no immigrants between these years, and it's like, no, we've always always had immigrants. That's not real. Everyone yes. in this fucking country came from immigrants except for Native Americans. Who and got shafted. Yeah. Who, who um, as a matter of fact, are being re-shafted. Re yeah, they're right? fighting right now yeah. for something very important. Native Americans are protecting sacred grounds. I saw a really interesting post, I think it was on instagram um but it was essentially like would you build a pipeline through the vatican like no. then why is it okay to yeah. build it through these lands you know and it's more than that it's also just the fact that it's like really bad for the environment yeah it's all issues in this yeah. country God, there are so a lot of issues. really really serious issues um we don't get political and all that often but right now i'm just like oh and i mean it's because we're faced with this terrifying possibility. <laughs> so scary. We're, yeah, we're high strung right now. Pretty stressed out. Ginny is currently wearing <laughs> her, uh, her, her anarchist garb. And anarchy. Um, anarchy. Because yeah. if this election goes a certain way, the art history babes might be uh, light and shed on fire. The art so. history babes yeah. are going to be the anarchy babes. <laughs> We're going to rebrand. But yeah, I think, like, once again, Natalie brought up a good point. I think there are a lot of people that have bought into Trump's rhetoric that think that maybe there was a time when America was better. And and I understand where that comes from, but as we've talked about in previous episodes, that is that dangerous. That is dangerous, dangerous. and that that relates very very quickly back to what happened in Italy with fascism and and Germany. And yeah, I'm studying it heavily right now, man. <laughs> and it, yeah, and that's the thing too is like it happened down in Chile too. When when people say things like the whole "Make America Great Again" campaign is idealizing something that didn't really exist, like. They're not calling people who were buying into it stupid. Like, this is something that many people have bought into over the years in many different countries. Like, 
it's a tactic and it works, but like you just got to be smarter than the Trump. <laughs> you got to do it because you got to beat the Trump. Also, his has... last name is Trump. <laughs> Can we just, no, like, remember last year his last name is Trump. 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 Yeah, make oh. America Trump again, Trump. or make Don- No, it's make Donald oh. Trump. Was Trump that John again? Oliver? That was John yeah. Oliver. So good. Love oh, that man. God, I remember I that. So that was interesting. Really, what it all comes down to, I truly believe, is like think critically for yeah. five minutes. Use your brain to think critically. Um, I mean, I think. I mean, I can't. I guess I can't one hundred percent speak for all of us. But we also understand some people are frustrated with the, this election. Most of us were Bernie supporters, if not all of us. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah. And I, I still, him. I, I still do. <laughs> yeah, we love we love our Bernie. Um, that being said, damn it, we yeah. don't want Obama to go. <laughs> and and we also love Obama, and we don't want him to go. But that being said, oh, like my God. the idea that like like Hillary's gonna she's gonna get shit done. She'll like, be fine. She's a nasty woman and and she's gonna get shit done. Hey, and she's gonna she's gonna make sure we keep moving forward and not back. You know what? So. I dig nasty women. Hell yeah! Like get out there and be fucking nasty, girl. God, I want. Well, I cannot wait. Miss Rodham, if you're nasty. Woo! <laughs> What's that Black Sabbath song? Dirty Women. I'm like, yes. <laughs> That's Hillary. Um, but yeah. She'll so, be great. She will. So yeah, I think we all agree that we're all going to miss Obama dearly because yes. he was a lovely president. So to kind of uh, segue into our topic for today, election propaganda, we're going to move into the Art for Obama campaign. Yay! Yay! And yes. just, like, if you guys are as big of, like, book nerds as I am, like, I mean, part of the reason I love art, I love, like, material shit, like, and not in a snobby way, just in a, like, Materials. I love shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, books and stuff, I, I get off. So, the Art for Obama book is great. Last I checked, you can get it on Amazon. I'm sure they're going to either get very popular or very expensive. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how many they printed, whether they're reprinting. I don't know. But it's a great book, and, like, we're all gonna miss him. Okay, so the book really centers around mainly the presidential campaigns, the main poster. You all know it. It's the Hope Hope poster. People who aren't as familiar with the art world might not know that it was created by street artist Shepard Ferry. He does all of the obey everything. And the book that I'm talking about, where I'm getting pretty much all of my information today, is edited by Shepard Ferry and Jennifer Gross. So Shepard Ferry in the book writes and talks about how he knew in 2004 that he wanted to, the first time he heard Obama speak, that he wanted to create art for him. So he was thrilled by the time that he found out in 2007 that Obama was planning on running. And he did something that was unusual for Shepard Ferry, who is a street artist who has at this point in time, been arrested 14 times for, you know. I didn't realize it was that many times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this was in 07. So So as of 07, (laughs) as of 07, he had been arrested 14 times. Yeah. By the time he created the poster and everything, it had been 15. Or by the time this was published, this Uh book. But yeah, so he knew that he was, you know, he's kind of a fringe person. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he genuinely had the thought that, 
he could negatively impact the com- campaign. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he, you know, he reached out and made sure that they would be interested in that. They said yes, gave him full permission. And um, this is a Shepard Fairy quote. He said, as an artist, the things that really struck me about Obama were his sincerity and his idealism. So he goes into more detail about some of, like, the specific issues that he connected with Obama about. But, like, I think it's something that we can all kind of relate to, like, his personality traits and his just, like, charisma is really, it's something that transcends a lot of things. And we were talking earlier about, I don't remember what specifically we were talking, oh, with Hillary, with, like, crossing party lines. And that is something that's very present in this whole idea of the art for Obama And you see it again and again, this, like, iconography of mixing red and blue Mm -hmm. and the idea of him being a candidate that can cross party lines because that's just who Obama is. This is one of those occasions where I'm sure most of you are going to know the image I'm talking about as I'm talking about it. Shepard Ferry first made the portrait of Obama in 07, and it was the half blue and half red portrait it's I think the original was it's kind of confusing because there's a painting and there's a screen print they were used for different purposes but um he created okay no I was wrong okay so he created the screen print in 08 so the same year as the election and he created a stencil which became like a special um special edition there we go like a special edition poster which was a little bit nicer so the 08 poster is the one you guys all know. Shepard Fairey created it, started spreading it around LA. He did a high definition, high def um, download online, and he did stickers and posters that he shipped out, posted up. So it was very grassroots, which is stereotypical of Shepard Fairey, but it also fit really well with the Obama campaign and their message. So half blue and half red, and that was, again... To represent the merging of the parties and Shepard Ferry described with my illustration I wanted to convey that Obama had vision his eyes sharply focused on the future and compassion that he would use his leadership qualities for the greater good of America in a very patriotic way looking at the image that's what he's trying to convey with this you know kind of like far looking portrait he also is using an actual photograph which again, would create a lawsuit. <laughs> so Shepard Ferry is very <laughs> invested at this point. Yeah, so he makes these posters, and on top of the original posters he made, he was asked by the Obama campaign to make the special edition posters that they could then sell and raise money. And he got a really cool letter <laughs> from Obama himself that I'm going to read to you guys just because it's great says, Dear Shepard, I would like to thank you for using your talent in support of my campaign. The political messages involved in your work have encouraged Americans to believe they can help change the status quo. Your images have a profound effect on people, whether seen in a gallery or on a stop sign. I am privileged to be part of your artwork and proud to have your support. I wish you continued success and creativity. Sincerely, Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, and it's like it's so cool. They have like a photocopied image of like the official letter in the book. It's it's just you know it's very sweet and sincere. I feel like we're just gonna keep getting like really emotional. It's about hard not to. <laughs> and you know what? Like so great. 
I mean, this this transcends just like political beliefs because just looking through this entire book, like there's so much like emotion and excitement around Obama and his campaign. So Shepard kind of mentions how his authenticity and his idealism are what really drew Shepard as an artist to Obama. And he believes that that's also what pulled in a lot of other artists because it did not stop at Shepard Ferry. There has been a lot, a lot of grassroots art created in support of Obama. And this book is full of it. Okay, so they end up doing this whole Manifest Hope project, which brings together a bunch of other artists who are creating various works. I mean, you get things from large scale painting that are more traditional with acrylic or oil all the way to prints, to like watercolors, really small scale. I mean, the breadth of this artwork is just, it's moving. You get a lot of youth like involved with this and the artistic community in general, which is kind of unique for politics, if you really think about it. Like looking back, there's not a lot of politicians that get the youth, like, I feel like I'm in New Girl, the youth, but like the youth of <laughs> the, America, the street youth, <laughs> but like the youth of America, as well as the artistic community, like truly excited and like really behind you. And you really, you feel that looking through all of this, um, they're not easy demographics to really win over, but Obama did it and he did it really early on. And so he has Shepard Ferry as this, I mean, he's a guerrilla street artist and he's, He's essentially made the face or like the image of the Obama campaign. And um, yeah, from there, you just get a lot of grassroots and street artists that are like fully supporting Obama. And I'll provide a few images on the website because they're very cool to see. There's this one minimalist one that I'll post because we were all gushing over it <laughs> earlier. It's so good. It's super cool. It's super cool. But um yeah, and if you guys want to get this book, you should because it's awesome. And it might be very expensive in the future. <laughs> it might be. I did not pay more than $20 for it. I cannot make you the same promise. And that is all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> That's all she wrote. All right, so Obama, love him. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cross over to fly away <laughs> um yeah we're gonna move away from american politics which feels really great about uh, now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those and, are all the nice things we have left to say yeah right um and we're gonna talk a little bit about um the green movement in iran and the um the campaign of musavi iran is particularly interesting in talking about this relationship between politics and art because really the art and visual material and the art world has been very interwoven within Iran's history in a very unique way. I, I would say more so than in the United States. Um, it's been a very like interesting um, player in, in the way their politics have played out. Um, so I'm going to start with a little bit of background information about the Iranian Revolution very quickly because the Iranian Revolution could be its own episode entirely. Yeah. So this is like a very quick. Should be. Yeah, we should do that. But so kind of a quick background. Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, as well as his wife, Empress Farah, um, they were in power um, from 1941 until 1979, until the Iranian Revolution of 1979. 
Um, and they very much endorsed the arts and the avant-garde art world. And they were very invested in the Western art world and just the Western world in general. Um, in fact, Andy Warhol was invited to Iran and produced portraits of Empress Farah and Mohammad Reza Shah. Um, so there's there was kind of this like interplay with the avant-garde in the 70s and the leaders of Iran. In 1979, they were overthrown by the revolution. There's a whole ton of factors that goes into this. Like this is a very bare bones idea. But one of the main ideas was that of the revolution was that they felt that they were kind of being overpowered by Western ideals. The people of Iran at this point felt that they were being their individual identity as Iranian people was being overshadowed by the West. So Mohammad Reza Shah's, his move towards modernism wasn't necessarily to take on full Western ideals, but he was also trying to move away from the Islamic culture. Like he was, that was like a very decisive move. It was more so, secular. He was Yeah, he was, secular. he was. And so by pushing this whole Islamic background or this whole like Islamic faith in this Islamic nationalism to the side, that was the group that rose up to really bring him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, that was the reaction to what he was doing. It's not, it's not like he was trying to be so Western, but that's how they framed it because he was trying to push them out. It was, you know, mm-hmm. and again, and, like you said, it's it's way more nuanced than we're making it. But yeah, there were definitely I mean, there were also issues with, you know, lack of jobs and there were there were more issues than that. But that is kind of the the overarching narrative of what was going on. Let's see. In 1971, um, the Shyad Tower was built um, basically by the Pahlavi dynasty, um, which was kind of this big architectural project by the dynasty that was then the site of the 1979 revolution and would later be the site of protests by the green movement. So it's, it kind of became this, it's in Tehran and it's, it kind of became the site of um, all kinds of political discourse. So after the overthrow of the Pahlavi dynasty in 1979, um, Iran, Iran becomes an Islamic Republic under Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, the supreme leader of Iran. And then we're just going to kind of fast forward a little bit. Like I said, we're missing like a whole lot of stuff. But um, it's a lot more complicated. We only have so much time. Yeah, it's a pretty convoluted history. Um, We're going to fast forward to 2005 when Ahmadinejad is elected president. Um, So he's elected president. He is endorsed by, um, by the supreme leader. And a lot of people are not exactly happy with this presidency. Um, the economy starts to go downhill, trade becomes restic- restricted, and we start to see more issues with human rights that people are upset about. Um, so in 2009, there's another presidential election, and several people run against Ahmadinejad, including Mir Hossein Mousavi. And Mousavi was artist, an architect, and a presidential candidate that was involved in many... He was he was involved in the political world. It's not like he was just an artist that threw himself in there. He was actually like the prime minister, I believe, of Iran for many years. Um, so so he was very involved in politics. And I just want to say how dope it would be to have an artist run for president of the United States. I would. I want to throw like that. that out there because that hasn't happened. I would vote for him. Yeah, nothing even close to that has happened. To be real, no. Like yeah, like. 
So America's not ready. Yeah. yeah so Bush did some paintings <laughs> only after they he were, was out of office. They were interesting. They were interesting. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're rooting for um future presidential candidates uh, from the art world. That would be great. So Musavi was involved in the avant-garde art world. He did abstractions, but he also kind of played with folk art, which he had this interesting kind of overlap. And then, as I said, he was involved in many. Um, political movements and was I don't want to get this wrong yeah he was the prime minister from 81 to 89 so he served a pretty solid role in the government so what happened during this election was this this widespread um we vote campaign that was supported by artists and athletes and all sorts of people from all around the world really supported this and very similar to the Obama like hope campaign it really encouraged the youth like the youth got out there and it was like voting was like a big thing. And so the, the youth were more invested in this election. And supporters of Musavi adopted the color green to represent their support. And this resulted in this very interesting color coding of the city, basically. Um, if you if you supported Musavi, you would be wearing anything you could that was green, like mm. a green t-shirts and green hijabs and and green ribbons and green everything. Um, and essentially, um, walking around, like if you were to be in a certain neighborhood in Tehran, like you would know the stand, the political stance was because it would be essentially color coded. Wasn't, wasn't there a ban eventually on green spray paint? Huh. Probably. <laughs> uh, like if you remember, were caught buying spring, green spray paint, you could get thrown in jail. Yeah. Before. So you had this color coding of the city and, um, and this support of Musavi from the youth, from the arts community, um, and it, it extended out into street art. There were stencils of Musavi's face that would, you know, be painted in a very guerrilla fashion. Um, a lot of like street art tagging for the Musavi campaign, which interestingly enough has kind of a connection to like Warholian aesthetics because you have this reproduction of the same portrait yeah. over and over again. And they just liked him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, and also connecting back to once again, the uh, Shayad Tower in Tehran, um, that was also a site of this green movement. They tagged the monument in green. There was a lot of, um, of protests that happened around this monument. June 12th, 2009 was election day and Ahmadinejad won by what was considered a landslide by like some like 65% or something like that, um, which ended up sparking massive protests for the next several months and a huge like militant backlash to these protests. Sadly, many people were killed. Um, a lot of these protests happened and kind of going back to this idea of like green spray, spray paint being banned it, I, I'm pretty sure that happened during the protest, you know, portion. Ayatollah Khomeini denies fraud in the election. There's this whole idea that it was rigged. I did a little bit of research and a lot of people back up that claim that it was rigged. This wasn't kind of just a people were mad. It sounds like there's some solid evidence. I didn't do enough to really have a say in, in what I think, but but there is some evidence out there that, you know, this wasn't an entirely fair or democratic election. Look into it yourself, make your own, have your own opinion about it. Um, so you had all these, these protests and it, it went on for months. Um, there, was, there was this real movement. It's it, In some ways, it's very similar to to Obama and the Hope campaign, and they happened at roughly around the same time. 
And there was this real like idea of like Musavi was was termed the architect of tomorrow. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so you have like he was <laughs> this idea that he was going to build a better life for Iran. But but what's interesting, I, I what's particularly interesting about all this is the way that the visuals kind of interacted um, is very different from the art for Obama campaign or very, very different from the ways they, they work. I, they, they've worked, I think in the Western world. Musavi was very, was he, he was against mimicking a Western avant-garde style. So while he did work, he, he did some avant-garde work. He did very like, like abstract um, contemporary art. He was all for this establishment of a uniquely Iranian avant-garde. He didn't want Iran to be borrowing from the Western world. He wanted to create an Iranian identity through um, visual material. And I have a couple of quotes from him that kind of explain, I think, his balanced view of it um, and the fact that he was both an artist and a politician. Um, the first one, the paintbrush cannot take the place of a common struggle for freedom. So this idea that you you have to enact, you know, what like change, you have to actually do something about it. But then there's there's another quote, art can offer a vision into the future and a direction toward a way of life. So also this idea that visual material can change the way we think about things, it can it can move you in a certain direction. Right before the election, uh, Tardis, which was um, a the most prevalent art magazine in Iran, um, they had this very and I'll po we'll post this on the website. Um, it was a minimalist uh, green cover. The cover was just entirely green. So obviously, you know giving their support to the Musavi campaign. And um, it's so clever. Immediately following the election, they their cover was Renee Magritte's The Treachery of Images. Oh. <laughs> and it was so great too, because anyone uh. outside of the art world didn't get it. Like <laughs> they didn't <laughs> they didn't understand. It's exclusive. Yeah, it yeah. kind of was. They didn't understand. All of us art historians are like, ha ha <laughs> They didn't understand that this art magazine was basically um, referencing this idea that, you know, the election wasn't what it appeared to be. Yeah. Um, it was very smart, very clever on their part. Wow. I know, right? So it was a very interesting use of a particular, you know, not only a particular color, but a particular use of visual imagery um, for political means in this case. And I'm going to kind of end talking about, once again, we'll put this on the website, but there is a particular banner that uh, comes out of the book Contemporary Iranian Art from the Street to the Studio by Talim Grigor. Who is, by the way, <laughs> our muse, our head babe, the woman that we all wish that we were. <laughs> that we all wish to be. <laughs> we, we want to be her. We love her. She's amazing. Um, she was there um, for the election. And um, she took a picture of this banner by the Green Party. And it, it's very clearly referencing the creation of Adam in the Sistine Chapel. You have these two hands reaching out to each other. Um, interestingly, they're both female hands. Oh my um, god. So you have kind of, yeah. So you have a little bit of a, an interesting inversion Wait, there. How do we know that they're female hands? Um, I don't know. Because they're, like they're girly? Hands. I don't know. They're pretty feminine. I mean, I'm not trying to challenge you. I'm just like. Well, you're not challenging me. You're challenging Colleen. Oh! <laughs> no! <laughs> I take it back! Rick hands! Rick hands! <laughs>
I, I retract my statement. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you have you have these two these two hands, and it's very um, clearly <laughs> referencing the creation of Adam. But you also have like there's there's green ribbons tied around their wrists. Um, there is also text um, written in green. Um, in uh, Farsi, maybe, and and so it's it's appropriating this kind of Western image, but for the sake of this political revolution. And I want to read a little passage because it it isn't as like as I mentioned before, Musavi was all for this idea of creating an individually Iranian aesthetic and moving away from like from trying to take from the Western world, but it still incorporates the Western world. And I feel like it's like summed up perfectly in this passage from this book by our queen, Talin Gregor. So I'm just going to read it out. The combination of the green stained fingertips of the election banner held by a campaigner with her meticulously French manicured nails speaks to Nicholas Mirzoff's claim that visual culture does not depend on pictures themselves, but the modern tendency to picture or visualize existence. This is precisely the kind of picture and the pictorial discourse that I have tried to address here. In Iran's case, it is not just about visualizing one's own culture and history, but of appropriating the others as a postmodern act of distinction and belonging. The iconographic contradiction, confusion with con in um, parentheses. parentheses, which is very clever, um, and appropriation are multi-layered and deeply meaningful. The green color of, Pro of Prophet Muhammad and of Musavi's campaign, the green fingerprints of the most classical signifier of democratic election, the ring on one finger as placing the image in a local context, the implication of the divinely ordained election and mm. the youth joining a movement beyond simple bureaucratic procedure, and so on. These are encapsulated in one hybrid image, embracing the West in its own orbit of signs and signifiers and making it her own. The election campaign mirrored, mirrored Iran's contemporary art, no radical manifestos, no differing agendas. Instead, a pictorial discourse of signs, symbols, suggestions at futures, references to history, and color-coded streets and banners. Wow. Whoa. There it is, y'all. Oh. Um, she's so good. She is so good. Everything that she does. <laughs> um, but also, there was a lot of, um, post this, there was a lot of um, use of this green aesthetic and appropriation of visuals from the green party by contemporary artists which is also really important and you should totally look into um so yeah green movement i ran 2009 check it out what, what? Yep. wow and there's also i'm trying to remember the exact name but there's that documentary about the death of the iranian woman during the revolution. oh yes 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 her name was nita yes Nita was a woman who died during the protests in a pretty brutal fashion, and she was considered the face of the movement. If you look it up, um, just a heads up, it it's fairly gruesome. There's footage of her being gunned down, and it's um, a total bummer. Um, but she became a huge face for the movement, and a lot of people kind of adopted her as a um, martyr. Yeah, as a martyr, basically, so sad but moving and there were a lot of people very committed to not letting her die in vain yes which is always really yes. cool to see when it's you know warranted definitely yes. so yeah musavi and the green movement uh if you didn't know now you know
So, yes. Miss um, Jen, what do you got for us? As per usual, I, um, I typically try to circle everything back to my own research because I am a selfish person. And <laughs> um, because of that, I just thought it was very appropriate to talk about this history of political propaganda, specifically in Mexico. You already knew I was taking it there. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. Um, so really interesting. You know, Mexico has always been wrought with political controversy. Those of you who may not have any sort of background in what Mexican politics may have looked like over the last 100 years, very, very quickly, very, very um, glancing over all of the details. During the 19th century, during a period of, of revolution from the Spanish colonial oppressors, Mexico gained a certain element of independence. So this is like 1810, Mexico gains their supposed independence from the Spanish crown. Hooray, everybody is happy. Unfortunately, within a period of a few years, a dictatorship is installed. This dictatorship is commonly referred to as the Porfiriato, which is a sort of, sort of like funny, haha, name derived from the last name of a um, Porfirio Diaz. I'm sorry, first name. So Porfirio Diaz, dictator for about 30 years plus in the last half of the 19th century and early part of the 20th century. Around the year 1910, an agrarian revolt uh, removes Porfirio Diaz from power. And then there's the true Mexican revolution, which was the agrarian revolution of the peasant class against the oppressive elite class of those who supported the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz, the wealthy landowners, the Mexican citizens who were closely affiliated with the Spanish crown, still considered themselves to be more European than quote-unquote Mexican or indigenous, therefore feeling a level of justification over their um, influence over the political sphere in Mexico. So this happens, and it's great. It's great. The Mexican Revolution of 1910 was an amazing revolution, one of the most interesting revolutions. It's one of my most near and dear to my heart um, topics of research. However, this revolution was once again sort of thwarted by the sort of installation of another political monopoly, if we can call it that, of this party called the Institutional Revolutionary Party. So already it's a, it's a problematic name for a political party. So the Institutional Revolutionary Party, better known as the PRI or the PRI in Spanish, so this idea of co-opting the message of the Mexican Revolution in a political party that goes on to dominate over the next 71 years. They held power 
uninterrupted from 1929 to the year 2000. This party essentially carried out the same sort of ideological agenda of um, the Port Feriato. And because of that, not a whole lot really changed in the sphere of democracy in Mexico. The point of all of this is that after a brief stint in 2000, the presidency of Vicente Fox from the PAN party, or the PAN, as they are referred to in Mexico, which is an interesting name because pan means bread and everyone's <laughs> like oh the pan but um <laughs> so that's kind of cute but honestly um his his tenure as president was short-lived and then in 2012 mr enrique Nieto comes into power and once again the pre returned to presidency and in typical pre fashion enrique Nieto bought the vote I don't care if this is controversial. Get out of my face if you don't agree. But he bought the vote. I was in Mexico when he was running for president. And I remember my uncle coming home one day and being like, yo, I got this Walmart gift card by the dude down the street to vote for Peña Nieto. I swear to God, I swear to God, so many things are so problematic about that. Walmart being a American sort of capitalist, imperialist influence in Mexico that has killed tons of small business. Okay. Walmarts are everywhere Fucking in Mexico. It's a man. problem. They were trying to build a Walmart over the site of the Templo Mayor in Mexico City. Okay, like Templo Mayor is one of the most like influential sort of like seats of the Aztec Empire. One of the last like huge sites of architecture that exists. But long story short, he stole the vote, and so after he became president. All of these sort of issues in Mexico just, like, took off, all right? And the biggest one, the one that had been an issue since 2006 and were still very much upset about the situation in Mexico, at least I am, because it bothers me. I don't like visiting my family. I don't do it very often because I'm scared to. Because between 2006 and 2010, something around 150,000 people have died in Mexico from narco violence, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. drug cartel related violence. We can't deny it anymore. It's clear that there's a connection between the government and the narco mafia in Mexico these people are connected and that is why from 2006 to today they have gone largely uninterrupted the violence is insane people are just missing and nobody knows where they are all I gotta say about it though is that during this time so many atrocities have happened in 2014 43 school teachers went missing, and by missing, it's pretty safe to say that they will never be found. Okay, so these 43, they were school teachers, but they were also students. Only recently have they found evidence that they were put in vats of 
acid and um like you know completely like disposed of 43 people were essentially vaporized and because because not that there's ever a why there's not really a why but the 43 um school teachers were um essentially a little bit too radical Right, and not like the Trump radical. No, no, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> too, clarify for our listeners. A little bit too open-minded about, hey, isn't it kind of messed up that from 2006 to now, 150,000—that's 150k people—have been killed because of narco drug-related violence in Mexico. Wow, that's not so great. So, 43 students from the Ayotzinapa Teacher Training College went missing. And it's a really messed up story, and you should look it up. What has essentially come out of this is that Peña Nieto is being held responsible. There are many ties between this president and wealthy drug lords. And so the whole point of this is that there's been a huge backlash against Peña Nieto. But you know what happens in Mexico? If you come out and openly say, I'm against the government, you're probably going to die. That's why being a journalist in Mexico is the most dangerous job you could ever have. So one of Mexico's most interesting um, graffiti artists right now is this artist known as Droncita. Droncita is one of the newest artists in this whole anti-Peña Nieto um, protest movement. She's called Droncita, which kind of relates, kind of translates to dronette because it's a drone. So this woman is a graffiti artist, but instead of being out on the street spray painting her anti-Peña Nieto message, she's using a drone. And I can't blame her. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a really good video um, by this collective. So there's a collective called the Rexiste. So Rexiste is an amalgamation of the words resist and exist. And so the Rexiste movement or group came about after the um, election of Peña Nieto. And they originally were formed to denounce the broadcasting giant in Mexico called Televisa. So Mexico essentially has like one huge broadcasting network and Televisa is hugely related to politics and they take mad bribes, mad bribes. And so to the point where Peña Nieto is married to a very famous telenovela star, Scandal, um, <laughs> so Televisa and the government are is very that like, hand um, in hand. Trump being married to a very oh. famous woman. Ooh, <laughs> pretty similar. So essentially, since Televisa owns everything, um, most of the corruption surrounding the 2012 election of Peña Nieto is attributed to this media bias that um, Televisa imposed throughout the country. So anyway, this group have essentially come out against Peña Nieto, and right now, Droncita is the most interesting graffiti artist. One of the best-known statements or, or 
pieces against Peña Nieto um, happened in 2015. There was a Mexico City's huge central square called the Zócalo. In the square, they used 30 liters of paint to write out the words Fue el Estado, which means it was the state. And they wrote it out humongously right in front of Peñanito's offices, so he would have seen it. So because of these graffiti artists like Droncita, there's a little bit of a very careful backlash against this government slash narco collaboration of corruption that's happening right now. There just isn't a whole lot though, and that's kind of sad. There's not a whole lot that we can say about people like Droncita and her her drone graffiti. Um, most of the work doesn't exist for very long. A lot of it will go over and paint onto like state-sponsored um, political ads for the pretty or for Peña Nieto. But once again, using a drone in the sort of hopes to deflect any um, physical harm that might come from being openly against the government. A quote from the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Ziad Rahad Al-Hussein, no one in Mexico can feel safe. They are not enjoying the protection of the law. He goes on to say, I don't think that Mexico or we in the human rights community can really rest until we find out what happened to the students and until there is justice and accountability for whatever may have happened to them. And that's, that's it. <laughs> that's, that was a, that was a really cheery little <laughs> piece on the state of affairs down <laughs> below the border well, let's, um, let's be real. Nothing about this episode is particularly uh, cheerful. It's grim. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to finish it off with Jenny talking about some some uh, stuff. Just wrapping it all back full circle to our current election back situation. To America. In America. So. Shit. What I'm going to talk about is propaganda, of course. But, um, you know, propaganda can serve multiple purposes and that they are positive for a particular candidate or negative. The ones I'm talking about are certainly negative. Uh, the first example is the naked Trump statue, uh, which was uh, credited to the anarchist group In Decline. And you might remember this. They were erected um, in New York City, San Francisco, LA, Cleveland, and Seattle. They are uh, clay and silicone sculptures titled Emperor Has No Balls, in that the <laughs> sculpture of Trump has no balls and a micro penis. Um, <laughs> I like how you said that. <laughs> a micro penis. Uh, I'm just trying to make this shit sound, sound I don't know. Uh, so, a micro penis. <laughs> A, a penis. <laughs> oh, this sculpt these sculptures are um, 
uh, not flattering at all, of course. Uh, Are you sure? I mean, yeah, they, you don't <laughs> depict a man with testicles and a micro penis. That's uh, that's not good. But in addition to that, he is depicted as overweight with varicose veins and blotchy skin and an ass that looks like it's getting sucked back into one's <laughs> And um, this is uh, attributed to an artist named Ginger. And he has a video of it, of his process of making uh, these sculptures, and we will put that on the website. And he is a large, tattooed man, and it has, like, this really intense music playing throughout, along with quotes from Trump, like, all these terrible sound effects. It's... it's, um, Really disturbing. It was meant to be, of course. (laughs) This concept of depicting Trump as having a very ugly body, in particular as having little to no penis and no (laughs) testicles. Where does that come from? Right? Where does that come from? So the first artistic example of this image of Trump comes from the artist Ilma Gore, who um, made a painting of, I'm pretty sure it's a painting, I it's either a painting or a drawing, but it's of Trump with this little penis and no testicles. <laughs> so when you think about Trump and how all the terrible things we can say about him are a lot, but <laughs> one of the main ones is his vanity. He cares far too much about how other people look as well as his own sense of self and his own sense of masculinity. So it seems that in a lot of ways, he really set himself up to be represented in a way like this. Definitely. That um, both mocks his body, makes it stereotypically uh, hideous, and also um, emasculates him. This is what we're looking at. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, certainly... (laughs) This isn't necessarily unique. Plenty of political candidates have been represented in ways that are quite grotesque. But this is one of the first examples in American history that we see of a sculpture like this being erected in multiple locations depicting a political candidate like this. In response, last month there was erected a cartoonish and very garish statue of Hillary Clinton. Uh, she is partially naked. She has a shirt. It's open. She has some, like, granny panties on. And then there's depicted a Wall Street banker coming around her, uh, left boob. And (laughs) in the technical term. I know. Everything else I was very technical. (laughs) Boob. Um, (laughs) her left breast. In the motion of, uh, he's about to, like, suckle on her. (laughs) Also the technical term. Also the technical term. That is the technical term, yeah. And uh, below her knees are depicted as hooves, not feet. So (laughs) it made it three hours before getting knocked over, whereas the Trump sculptures, uh, they were taken down But in Seattle and uh, L.A., they were both snatched in order so that they were not taken down by city city workers. And the artist is not clearly attributed for this. It's thought that it's this guy who's shown trying to move it. And he looks like 
a very like alternative artist. He's in all black. He has cool sunglasses. And you're like, surely he wouldn't do this. Like he can't not be a Democrat. Or <laughs> So looking into this, that's not actually uh, the accurate or that's not a fair assumption rather because there is an alt-right art group. Uh, uh, I are look- you going to talk about Pepe? No. Aww. We were <laughs> just talking we about were- Pepe. <laughs> uh, Fucking I- alt-right taking Pepe for their race. Leave yes. Pepe alone! God damn it. Alt-right art is uh, it's real, and <laughs> it's confusing, <laughs> and it's uh, very odd. So, <laughs> a... Pro-Trump art show, <laughs> I can't even say this, Woo. Uh, called hashtag daddy will save us. Oh, oh my god! No! What? Was put on at Wall Play Gallery in Chelsea. <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, I have a link for specific images from this show that we can post. I don't know how many of the images that I've talked about I'll actually have posted on the website because a lot of them you can just find yourself and a lot of them are just so over the top. I, oh God. Okay, so anyways, one of the, (laughs) our performances at the show was a man bathing in pig blood in a tub in the gallery. And in back of him were photos of people who had died that he claimed were killed by illegal aliens and islamic terrorism i said both of those with air quotes because people aren't illegal and i saw it i saw the air quotes yeah (laughs) so this is some of the ridiculous shit that is being born uh in in the process of this whole election it's just hurts my heart i know it it hurt me and and in both sides none of i don't know uh okay So now I'm going to talk about something that's a little bit easier for me to digest and hopefully it will be for you and we'll, I mean, it's not going to end things on a happy note per se, but it'll hopefully end things on a note that's a little bit easier to digest. So there's a LA street artist named Plastic Jesus. Nice. He's considered the West Coast Banksy. Yeah. He's a really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does a lot of really cool stuff. Plastic Jesus. So one of the most recent ones that he did and i think it's great uh he built a little miniature concrete wall around trump's hollywood star wow uh he has little miniature flags keep out signs razor wire running along the top and vandalism on the wall saying stop making stupid people famous and this is something that he's um this is a catchphrase he's worked with before which i think is really just great and so uh appropriate for right now so it's only six inches tall very tiny he additionally made you know the no parking anytime signs he did those and just replaced parking with trump (laughs) so no trump anytime (laughs) what is that (laughs) no trump um when asked about this work in In particular, the work that he's done in regards to Trump, he's quoted as saying, I don't try to attack people on a personal level. I try to attack their policy or their attitude. Personally, I've got nothing against Donald Trump. I have everything against his policies and the culture he's trying to create in America. And I just thought that this was a really wonderful way to sum up his work. So I'm just going to leave it on that. (laughs) 
and hope that no one is too haunted by visions of <laughs> naked Trump sculptures <laughs> or the Hillary one for that matter because it's terrifying. It's like a cartoon <laughs> LSD bad. nightmare. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, Plastic Jesus also did a really good piece where he, on the side of something he wrote, um, something about, like, I could, I could go to jail, um, I, oh, I was going to, I was going to make some street art, but I could go to jail for longer than a rapist. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really clever, clever person. (laughs) Look at Plastic Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good. Yeah. He did a take on a sculpture that I saw in Munich that I'm, like, heavily investigating right now. So it's a sculpture of a figure on all fours. And in his version, it's snorting coke. And I'm trying to figure out the significance of the original because it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know yet, but... Yeah. Huh. Interesting, interesting guy. Wow. Um, so yeah, ultimately, um, there's some, a, a whole slew of political things for you to be thinking about. If you weren't stressed out about the election, you probably are now. I feel more stressed uh, out. I feel more stressed out, too. <laughs> I, I know. just thinking about this. Um, like... But to be fair, we probably should be stressed out. This is important. So, yeah. Um, so I hope you recognize that's important as well, and you're willing to take the time to actually think about what it all means. Um, we're going to end it on a happier note, though, and we're going to do <laughs> listener Please. mail. With Yay! A, which nothing makes me happier than listener mail. Really, though. So does someone want to read this lovely I'll message from Allison? <laughs> I'll read it. Allison writes, Hey guys, I just wanted to let you guys know how amazing your podcast is and give you some words of encouragement. As an undergrad art student, sometimes those 100-year-old stuffy articles we're made to read for art history don't really cut it. And you guys are so funny and chill. It makes learning about all these great artists and movements so much more palatable. 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 (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I'm ESL. Get out of my face. (laughs) Um, The Cubism episodes and the Frida Kahlo episode really saved me on my last modern art exam. That's so awesome! That's nice. Keep it up, you guys are hilarious and great teachers. Allie. Oh, Allie. I'm so glad that you did well on your exam. Wow, I just graded a bunch of exams like a couple weeks ago. Was it like a week and a half ago? It fucking sucked. Oh, (laughs) it was bad. Some of them were so bad. And so I just wanted to say that I am really proud of you doing well on your exam. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. We love it. Thank you so much, Allison. I love, I love that you think we're good teachers because Aww. that's very Because we just want to be good we teachers. We just want to be good teachers. We just want to teach. We just want to teach you how to look at stuff. <laughs> just want to share visual culture with the world. Just learn. Just figure it out. Um, <laughs> all right. We have another uh, email from, is it Sinem? Sinem? Hey, babes. I enjoy your podcast so much. They are so insightful and never have a dry moment. My old art history teacher should have drunk more. Yeah. Um, did you hear that the UK is cutting art history from the school curriculum? What a crime. Agreed. Yeah. Wow. It, um, I wanted to say I loved color theory so much. I've been telling everyone about sea snails 
and all sorts. Not sure it's gaining me any friends. (laughs) (laughs) Sad face. (laughs) Own it. Own that sea snail knowledge. Just wanted to shout out and see if you guys had any thoughts on maybe doing a podcast on how to read paintings. That's something I think we try to incorporate as much as possible. We want you guys to be visually literate. So maybe doing some type of a 101 type thing might be something we can look into. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll like pick out like a really complicated ass painting. Yeah. Oh, and what just, about like Las Meninas? Las Meninas. Oh, that'd be a really um, hard one to be like, here's how you look at this. <laughs> so that's something we'll definitely take into consideration. Um, anyway, so much love and female power. That's what's up. Yeah. Uh, feeling super liberated right now. Woo! Awesome. Yay. Working in a really male architecture office. Uh, wow. Yes. Uh, lady power all the way. On top of being a good teacher, all I want to do in life is make you feel liberated. So mm-hmm. uh, very much imp- appreciate it. P.S. If the election goes tits up, move over. Tits up. We love the pub. You guys would fit right in. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this, but this is from the UK. So, um. Pub. Tits up. That's really. We really like to hear that kind of stuff. It makes us feel less scared. We're trying trying to cross (laughs) the pond next summer. Yeah. So, that'd be really cool if we could go to the UK and be like, Art History Babes meet up. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. No, June Art history babes are going to Europe. Um, we're we're still, crossing the pond. We're crossing the pond. We're going to Europe. We're still working out the details, but um, it's happening. We would be very, very excited to schedule some kind of like a meetup over oh, there. That would be awesome. It will be turned. <laughs> it's gonna get so turned. We're gonna teach you guys all about the California slang. Yeah. And if the election goes tits up, we'll just stay. Yeah, we'll just go live there. (laughs) But thank you so much, listeners. I know this episode was kind of heavy and stressful, but I... Still, it's important, and I hope you guys are thinking about these things. Yeah. Um, and hopefully our next episode, which will be a recorded post-election, will be a celebratory one. I hope so. Or else. <laughs> or else. Or else we'll never hear from us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or else this is it, guys. We'll just, our next episode will be like, uh, rest in peace, art history things. <laughs> we no longer have funding. Our entire program has been cut. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so hopefully... They've burned all our books. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Everything's on fire! They found my communist manifesto copy. Ginny's <laughs> <laughs> gonna get burned at the stake and we're all gonna... We all have that, though. Yeah. Oh, I oh yeah. I have one, too. Yeah, and yeah. I, I have a lot of Marx stuff. Oh god. Oh, we're screwed. Oh, god. We're screwed. <laughs> Honestly, my thesis is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not graduating. Yeah, I'm not graduating. So, um, anyways, get educated. Make sure you vote with both your brain and your conscience. For those of you uh, not in- invested in the United States election, this has probably been a an interesting insight into how we all feel. Just over keep it. us all in your thoughts. You know, if, if they're still thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, we appreciate the good vibes, and yeah, let's just be positive and hope that uh, Tuesday is a good night for all of us. Oh God, we're gonna drink so much alcohol, you guys. We are. Um, I'm sure there will be uh, videos on our Instagram, so make sure to subscribe to our Instagram. 
art history based podcast. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes and write us a review. For those of you who have, thank you so much. They're so great. Uh, writing us reviews makes all the difference. Special shout out to those donating to our Patreon. Oh my God, you guys are amazing. amazing. Angels. Angel babies. Um, we love you so much. You can also find us on Facebook. Please find us. Facebook's great. Um, Find us on Facebook. I know it's all old. Your grandpa's <laughs> on Facebook, but come on. Share us with your grandpa. Like, why not? Tell your grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your grandpa about the art instruments. <laughs> Share us any way you can. All your support <laughs> is so appreciated. You guys are seriously the best in the world. Thank you for letting us do this. Love you. Yeah. We love you so much. Have a great time. Cheers and good night. From Catherine.